happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode here of the Side Guys Football Forum. I'm one of your co-hosts on the side, joined as always by my good friend, my good buddy, the other half of the Side Guys, with Ted Sai and Ted. It's nice to be that you're wearing blue because we're actually going to get into our final coach here. I'm of wearing our a very coaching specific series. type of blue. I'm not wearing that blue. I'm showing my Colts blue. No, that's what I'm saying. So it's like formally of the Indianapolis okay. Colts now well, the other the the, team here, but who also wears blue, hence the confusion. It's like a tealish, you know, it's like a baby like, blue. Yeah, kind of like around there, but yeah, for sure. So, uh, but just, yeah, still the fact that you're representing blue with our head coach, Frank Reich, that we're discussing today, who is formerly, of course, head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So it's all sort of like tying in together there. So yeah, as I sort of mentioned here, this is the final episode in our new head coaching series. We have already done the other four head coaches that have been hired this year. We did started with Sean Payton. Then we moved on to Jonathan Gannon. Then we did D'Amico Ryans. And then we just most recently did Shane Steichen of the Indianapolis Colts. So it's sort of like you're tying both episodes together here, Ted. I like I like that sort there of like go. a there we go. It's, it's like George Lucas said. It's like poetry. Doing. <laughs> Unintentionally, you see, made it seem a little bit seamless there, there for sure. But um, like sure. we sort of teased in every single episode for sure. Um, don't stop listening to this episode, but make sure you check back and listen to all the other four episodes that we discussed there. We give a lot of great nuggets on how their offense is going to look, a little bit on how their defense is going to look as well, if they're a defensive-minded head coach, but most importantly, giving you some tidbits as far as how it can affect your fantasy draft strategies, which because, you know, Tad, we talked about this in our last episode, before you know it, I mean... July is going to be like, you know, pretty soon it's going to be here. Depending on what you're listening to this episode, July is already here. So I mean, it's like before you know it, you know, people are start, starting going to be contacting you about like, hey, I'm going to start up my league. You know, are you interested in playing again this year? And then you got to start figuring out the draft date. They got to start formulating your draft strategies and all that stuff. And then before you know it, the draft is going to be here and then you got to be ready. And so me and Tad are always going to make sure that you are prepared for all your fantasy football drafts. So make sure you listen to these past, these past four episodes and then today's episode as well, because it'll give you a little bit of a sort of a jump start as far as how you can sort of strategize with the players on these teams that have gotten new head coaches so i mean tad like i said we're getting into our final coach here this is frank reich he is with the carolina panthers i always do this to you in our new head coaching series obviously he was a formerly of the indianapolis colts and then he was right. fired mid-season last season i think he went about 10 11 games i think or maybe about went, 12 he, games i can't remember exactly he was fired after going three five and one Three, five, and one. So, yeah, like around maybe week 10, week 11, somewhere around yeah. there, right? Yeah. So, yeah, he obviously got fired midseason. I mean, that's just the safest way to put it there. Um, but then instantly he got a job here with the Carolina Panthers just right away. So, I mean, it's just like when you saw that, especially you got to experience him for five seasons, and we will get into his coaching history about his time during his, uh, about his time in Indianapolis, which, Ted, I'm pretty sure you'll share, shed a little bit more light on his time there. But just like when you saw that, that he was fired mid-season, instantly he got a job very much in the very next offseason. Like just how did you feel about that? And then just what do you think about his fit, instant reaction of his fit there in Carolina? Well, I'm going to take a little issue with a word you used twice now, which was he was instantly hired. Because what shocked me the most about his hiring was the fact that um, from all reports, Steve Wilkes, who was the interim head coach after – who uh, not Ron Rivera. That was way too long ago. Was uh, long ago. Who was the last Panthers coach? Help me out here. Matt Rule. Matt Rule. <laughs> There's a reason I don't remember that name. Um <laughs> After Matt Rule was fired and Steve Wilkes stepped up and traded Christian McCaffrey, and they were actually surprisingly more competitive after that, 
a lot of the reports coming out said that Wilkes was a player favorite and that he was a real favorite to land the job. And then Frank Reich was hired um, about a month later. And so I, what that told me was that he must have absolutely blown them away with something. And I will, uh, like you said, we'll touch more on his time in Indianapolis, but I do think he was not unfairly scapegoated by a, the situation in Indianapolis just did him no favors. So I, I don't think he adapted very well to the situation and that's what ended him. And that's why I was glad to see him go. Cause his lap lack of ability to adapt to your personnel, that's a real concern I have, but I think his, if he finds the right personnel, it's a very strong system. So Overall, it is a risky hire by Carolina, but that hire combined with their offseason moves, I'd give this a solid like B plus hiring as of now. I think one of the big things as to why Wright got the job was because it seems like front office and I think ownership, they're looking to get an offensive minded head coach as opposed yeah. to Steve Wilkes, who was very successful during his interim time there because they were the most successful in that season compared to when they were under Matt Rule for like the first four or five games, whatever it was. Like Steve Wilkes was four or five got- games, first four or five seasons under Matt Rule. Like, good lord. <laughs> But even just in that season I'm talking about, just like they started that season, yeah, they yeah. weren't successful there, which obviously led to a lot of their trading of some assets there, including Gertrude McCaffrey. But yeah, Steve Wilkes was able to get a lot out of that roster still, and they were very successful. But like I said, based on reports that I read, I think they wanted to go in an offensive direction, and we'll obviously get into here Makes sense. as far as why they went in that direction specifically. So let's start with his coaching history and a little bit of his playing history, of course, because he has some great moments in his college as well as his professional career. So he is a college quarterback at the University of Maryland. He was a backup and roommate Tad with Boomer Esiason. So, I mean, that I was that. pretty interesting see to that. see that there. Um, led the biggest comeback in NCAA history at the time. I don't know what the record is now, but I was able to get that for at the time by coming back to beat the University of Miami on the road in 1984. Like, I mean, this was a great game. Uh, Bernie Kozar was quarterback of the Miami Hurricanes at that time, led the Miami Hurricanes to a 31 to nothing lead at halftime. Uh, Frank Reich comes off the bench because of a shoulder injury. He actually lost his starting job to another quarterback, but he was able to get his job, job back in that game, came back in the second half, led the Terrapins to score 42 points in the second half they went 42 and 9 like the scoring difference was 42 to 9 with Miami scoring only a nine additional points and they ended up winning that game 42 to 40 he threw three touchdown passes in that half and he also ran in for one so I mean just amazing comeback there by Frank Reich and he had you know that didn't stop in college like I mean it's story well real quick I need to interrupt you so yeah. you said it was 31 points right correct Oh, it's funny that that number sticks out to me because uh, a certain team uh, tied for that same number of point comeback in 2016, the Alamo Bowl. Remember the Alamo TCU came back from 31 zip at halftime to beat the Oregon Ducks in the 2016 Alamo Bowl. And is that still the record right now, or is there another is, game that was tied? That is tied. So 30, 31, and apparently I was. that's why I was looking up while you were talking. So three teams have done it. Uh, Frank Reich's team, mm-hmm. the TCU Horn Frogs, and whoever mm-hmm. played in the 2006 uh, Iron Sight Bowl. Iron Sight Bowl. Okay. If you were going to say Iron Bowl, I was like, okay, well, Alabama, Auburn. No, that no, makes no, sense no. there. But Iron Sight, that's a little bit different there. <laughs> I have no idea about that one. Um, but My yeah, bad. So Insight. Insight Bowl. Insight I read the internet wrong. Insight, Insight Bowl. Bowl. Still okay. never heard of it, but 
still, yeah, that doesn't help me anymore than yep, Iron yep. Sights. So. Here we go. Here we go. Texas Tech came. Wow. Talk about two random ass teams. Texas Tech came back against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Okay. Okay. Uh, but yeah, as mentioned, this was not the only historic performance uh, performed by Reich. He eventually gets drafted into the NFL. He is drafted in the third round, the number pick uh, pick number 57 in the 1985 NFL draft. Uh, but the problem was Buffalo drafted future Hall of Famer Jim Kelly in 1983 and he was already entrenched as a starter so pretty much frank Reich was going to be a backup there so he had a couple of good performances but i think the most the most memorable performance that he had was in a postseason game so it's the final game of the 1992 regular season unfortunately jim kelly goes down he is hurt he can't play in the wild card game against the houston oilers so who steps up frank reich so frank reich comes in Oilers took a commanding 35 to three lead in the early parts of the third quarter. So this is like shades of the Atlanta Falcons versus New England Patriots. In case you don't remember this game, you can remember that game kind of, so kind of eerily similar here with the larger deficit there, but Reich leads an incredible comeback by scoring 38 points on offense and eventually defeating the Oilers in overtime, 41 to 38. This is the largest NFL comeback in history with 32 points until last year. Sorry, Ted, I had to do it. It's okay. <laughs> but I'm real it's sorry. Right. Until the Minnesota Vikings came yeah. back against your Indianapolis Colts by yeah. overcoming a 33-point deficit to defeat the Indianapolis Colts there. I will say what softened that blow was Justin Jefferson was on my fantasy team. So it was yeah, like, if that, I'm going to lose, if I'm going to have an historic just choke job, at least I won that week in fantasy. Like that, that those helps. are the worst weeks when your favorite team loses and your fantasy team loses that would have been i would have i we would have done a podcast that week if <laughs> if the colts had blown an historically like that and my fantasy team would have lost we might never do the podcast again i might just be done with football if that ever happens yeah yeah possibly it's fine but i'm not so sorry that didn't me, happen really. for you so it's all good there mm -hmm. but yeah, in thankfully. that game frank reich finished that game with going 21 for 34 289 passing yards four touchdowns and one interception so just an amazing amazing performance um after a while he played for the bills for nine seasons he left to join the team that he's eventually going to be the head coach of he started he played in their inaugural season of the expansion carolina panthers in 1995 he is credited with throwing the very first passing touchdown in Carolina Panthers history. And he also shares the single season sack record as in like taking sacks, not obviously performing sacks, but taking sacks. He's actually tied with Cam Newton for the franchise lead in there. So they're both tied with nine sacks. So that's ugh, not so good there to have that one there. Um, he later bounced around. He uh, joined with the New York Jets. Then he also played with the Nora, uh, Detroit Lions. And then he eventually retired in 1998. He took a long time off. And then he eventually came to the coaching ranks in 2006 with another team that he eventually becomes the head coach of, the Indianapolis Colts. So he's held various positions with the Indianapolis Colts during his time there from 2006 to 2011. He was a coaching insert. Then he was an offensive assistant. Then he was a quarterback's coach. And then finally, he was a wide receivers coach there. He eventually joined the Arizona Cardinals in the same position of a wide receiver coach in 2012. And then he joined the San Diego Chargers as a quarterback's coach in 2013. Eventually, he gets promoted to offensive coordinator in 2014, and he holds that job through 2015 as well. Then he joins the Philadelphia Eagles in 2016 to be their offensive coordinator, instrumental in their Super Bowl run and Super Bowl win in 2017, helping Carson Wentz turn into 
a borderline MVP. Obviously, we don't know. That's what I believe even say borderline. He, he was on the fast track for that. It was one of those what ifs, right? Like if he stayed healthy, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he would have got it. But unfortunately, he did get hurt. So the MVP went to somebody else. I can't remember who won the MVP that year. But just, yeah, Nick Foles obviously stepped in. 90% sure it was Brady. That seems very likely, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it was Brady. <laughs> uh, but Asshole. obviously, he was, <laughs> obviously he was there to help Nick Foles in his postseason run there to have such a successful just underdog story with everything happening there to help the Eagles win their first ever Super Bowl of franchise history. Because of all that success, he lands a head coaching job with the Indianapolis Colts, which we sort of teased earlier, obviously. Um, he was able to be a head coach of the uh, Indianapolis Colts for 2018 to 2022. Like we talked about earlier, he was fired about, you know, 10, week 10, week 11, so about 11 weeks into the season, he was fired. Um, he ended up posting a 40-33-1 and one record with the Indianapolis Colts, so about above average. It's above 500 mm-hmm. there, so I mean... Now he is the officially the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. So, Tad, I just want to pass to you here again. Just how did you feel about his time? Like, I mean, I know you kind of touched on that, but just how did you feel about his overall time there in Indianapolis being the head coach for about, you know, four and a half seasons, I'd say, <laughs> five seasons? So so I'm going to touch on his system here, too, uh, because a lot of it go because they're inter they're interconnected right is his time in indianapolis and his system and people may say well it didn't work no it did that's why he has a winning record in indianapolis the problem is again the the circumstances did not work with his system and i'll tell you what i mean by that so i'm not gonna call him like the grandfather of the rpo because it's not like he invented it but he and doug peterson definitely were key figures in ushering in this new era of the rpo I feel like the Nick Foles Super Bowl year where, you know, Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator was the first time the NFL really started realizing this RPO can make like this college system can work in the pros if you do a certain way. And what they found out and they being uh, Pearson and Reich was you need a smart quarterback that can make quick snap decisions and understand how to read a defense pre-snap now i know that again this all sounds like yeah no shit sherlock everybody needs that but guess what it's the way you utilize it like you don't need these overly complicated reads from the quarterback you uh, uh, frank greg loves these like kind of short mesh routes because all it is is you don't know if we're gonna run it and if you guess run well all of a sudden we, i have two receivers who run across the field about five yards deep and as long as they're athletic enough we got you the problem is you need a quarterback that can decide to do that or if he decides Receivers aren't open. Running back doesn't have the lane. I do. So he can run with it. That's where things started to go wrong for him in Indianapolis. Is his first, he had Jacoby Brissett there, who is good mobile quarterback, but at the end of the day, he's a solid backup. Nothing special. Then he goes for Carson Wentz. Okay. I understand. I was excited when we got Carson once, but I, I don't know what it is about him. I, my personal guess is it's the injury history. He's just not the same as we were talking about borderline or near MVP candidate. He was with Reich in Philadelphia. Again, I'm going to chalk it up to injury history. He's just not the same ever since, you know, multiple very serious injuries. Um, and this is when the wheels really, because we were terrible with Carson Wentz. We were one game away from the playoffs. We choked against sure. Jacksonville the very last week. Like we were there. We were there. So losses like he, with the Jaguars. That's what killed you, dude. Every time <laughs> I, I know I said this on the podcast before. Every time people are like, "Okay, Colts at Jacksonville. That's a win for them." I'm like, "No, it's not. We never win in Some Jacksonville." Some teams just like, have another insane. team's number, so maybe that's what it is with Jacksonville. They just have it's the like freaking. It's freaking Mordor over there for Indianapolis. <laughs> it's just like we gotta go all the way over there. Really, we have to. And it's just like, can we just take the Eagles? No, 
get it? See what I did there with the Eagles? Yeah, I do like supply. it. I do yeah, like it. Yeah, there we go. Um, but here's where the wheels really start falling apart, though, is because then he goes to Philip Rivers, and that is where – I'm you're very – intuitive smart man one of the smartest football minds i've ever had the pleasure of knowing what does rpo stand for <laughs> run pass option sorry repeat that first uh first word for me yeah it's run yeah run you know what philip rivers can't do yeah yeah at 36 years old <laughs> he can't run it's true it's true so this is where everything started falling apart, and this is what I was talking about earlier with Frank Reich's lack of ability to adapt to his personnel is because he was like, you know what? We have Phillip Rivers. I bet you we can still fool those defenses. No. Like those like play fakes with Jonathan Taylor because it, like, it's oh, – it, it was just the most maddening thing to watch is because he – like for some reason Frank Reich kept thinking that they were going to fool them, the defense into thinking that Philip Rivers could run for it. But that's the problem is like he went from one quarterback in Philip Rivers and had the exact same problem with Matt Ryan where you're getting these aging quarterbacks who A, were never runners once in their career, and B, especially not runners given that they are on the you know twilight years of their career. So it made absolutely zero sense to keep running the same RPO system. That does work. It does. But not with the quarterbacks that he had, or really the receivers too. His receiving cores there were not that great. So overall, I am I'm appreciative of Frank Reich. He he put up with a lot of unexpected things that happened. This is not even counting all the things that include uh, unlimited amount of injuries to his offensive line. Jonathan Taylor dealing with injuries coming off a career career year under his system. And if you want, I can talk a little bit on that. Um, but it's, it's more of just like Frank Reich had put up a lot of crap, but at the same time as a head coach, that's your job. You got to adapt. I think I said this on the last episode, <laughs> adapt or die. Yeah. Frank Reich did not adapt, so he died in Indianapolis. But I think, um, no, there's some real hope for him in Carolina. Obviously, we'll touch on his fit there. But, I mean, Amir, I mean, anything you'd like to add about, yeah, his time in Indianapolis? Because, again, it's it was not – I was happy when he got fired. I was. Um, but I was not thinking, like, what an utter and complete failure that was. That was more, like I said before, like that was just wrong coach at the wrong time. I think we we had hired him, you know, when Luck was still playing. I think that would have worked out incredibly well. Yeah, so I don't think I have anything else I want to add on specifically to Frank Reich. I think that's why I specifically pass it to you because you had more of an inside look on, you know, seeing what he's doing firsthand as opposed to me, just the casual viewer catching highlights and things like that, reading a few reports here and there. So I think everything you said makes a ton of sense there. I think also one of the big things that he admitted himself to, especially in pressers after he got hired by the Carolina Panthers, is just that he abandoned the run his last season there mm -hmm. in Indianapolis. No, where it's like, yep. that's the big proponent as to why he was successful in 2021. A few of the mm -hmm. other seasons that he had was just that he's able to lean on the running game. Like even, Sorry. even Sorry, outside real, of Jonathan Taylor's explosive season, like besides that, he just wasn't running the ball it up. And that's what he said. It sort of led to his downfall at times. You know, my damn memory What does the first R and RPO stand for <laughs> run, run. Pass run. Option. This is what I'm talking about. Like he's a good coach, but there were just like times where I'm like, what are you doing? Cause yes, no, you don't run in a run pass option. All of a sudden your offense turns pretty one dimensional. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's either a pass or an option. There is no option because there's no second option. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what sort of he could uh, bring here to Carolina. So let's sort of shift into his coaching style. So, Tad, I actually don't have a ton of notes on his offensive scheme here because sort of what I saw boil down to was two big proponents. He already touched on the RPO concept. Like, he's definitely going to involve that there, especially with the rookie Bryce Young under center. Like, I know we talked about Bryce Young being more of like he wants to be that pocket passer, but he can get out and run if he needs to. Well, that still helps you in a run-pass option type of play right just the ability that you can get out and run that's automatically just going to make this the defenses that they play against just second guess themselves as far as like is he going to tuck in i don't know so it's like just the fact that that option is there and in their minds they're going to be a little bit some hesitation moves where you can take advantage of right but there's two things that i wanted to bring up specifically so one let's obviously go with the running game so He's using a concept very similar that a lot of other teams use. San Francisco uses this, obviously. We talked about Miami uses this. It's his own blocking scheme. So that's what he likes to do. But there's something more specific that Frank Reich does with this running game, which allows a lot of his players or his running backs specifically to sort of gain big yardage after the runs of the formations that he runs. So what he does is he tightens the formation. So it's not like, you know, spread them out, Cliff Kingsbury, like spread out airy type of offense. He's bringing everybody in, which includes the receivers. And then he does what's called a pin and pull. So what happens is that the receivers, because they're so tight into the formation, the inside receiver will pull in and chip the defensive end on the end. And what will happen is that will allow the tackle to then pull out and pick up the smaller defenders, which is usually a defensive back, either the slot corner or the primary corner, because they realize it's a run play. And okay, I'm sorry, but there's no quarterback that's going to be able to withstand the oncoming, you know, right tackle or left tackle. They're going to the other side and attempt to sort of get around him to get after the ball carrier. So you see these uh, situations where it's like they're able to set that lane. There's a huge lane open. And then Jonathan Taylor, in most of the highlights that I saw, Jonathan Taylor has, like like I said, they talk about this on the broadcast, like a Mack truck can fit through the hole that is available mm-hmm. there. And then you look at the speed that Jonathan Taylor has. He just can hit it and go down, run downhill very, very quickly. And he gets a huge gain off of that. So that's one of the big things. And I saw Frank Reich do consistently was just that he runs these type formations. So it could be a run up the gut. It could be a run on the outside. Or like I said, using this sort of pin and pull system or concept that allows the receiver to chip in and then allows the tackle to get out a more better blocker. I mean, that's pretty safe to say. There. Well, and, and here's why yeah. it makes it level. And here's why it makes him a better blocker is because um, it's the whole, it, it is the entire philosophy of Reich's, offensive system is the reason he does that with the tackle and pulls him out and has the receiver take care of the end is because Reich is not one of those does not run one of those offenses where it's like, we're going to attack the defense. We're going to like put them on their heels. No, he actually does something weirdly opposite, but it works. And I think this is where he got the Patriots too. And wow, he must have really pissed off Bill Belichick. Um, he makes the defense come to you. And like you, like you read the defense as it happens. It's not like a, you know, a one of those things where it's like, oh no, we're gonna start attacking that quarter. No, no. So by pulling that tackle out and like literally pulling him across the line, it gives the tackle more time to see, you know, a couple seconds after the play develops. Okay, this is how the play is working. This is where we go with it. And that's also why the RPO works so well under Reich's system is because they do the exact same thing in the passing game where it's like, okay, hand it. Like, you know, it's usually a very long, exaggerated handoffs to the running backs, more than most, like, you know, play action or anything like that. Like, play action is a massive part of this offense for this very reason is they want the defense to show their cards before the offense does. 
And I know a lot of people, I, again, this is so weird because I know a lot of people are being like, you are saying the most obvious things in the world to have, but a lot of these offenses truly don't even wait for the defense to develop. They just go, no, we're going deep. We're like exactly like what you mentioned. That's why Cliff Kingsbury fell apart. Cause all he did was like, now nah, we're just going deep to D hop. You want to see what the high safety is doing? Nah, just do it. It's just like, okay, no. So that is exactly right with the running game. And that's why Jonathan Taylor was such the perfect running back for that system is because he was such a patient runner. And I'm not the perfect comparison because he's not nearly as shifty as this guy, but I will say I do think he's as patient as him. It's like Barry Sanders back there when like he was when he was hanging. But hold on. Let me again clarify this comparison is okay. when he was hanging back behind the offensive line and you're sitting there like, wait, go, go. And then like, you know, they're just like kind of sitting back there for, you know, uh, what feels like you know a minute, but really it's about five seconds. They're letting the play develop. They're letting it come to them so that they know what to do with the next step. So, and it's a lot of the same way with the um, you know with how they pass the ball is because they don't do a whole lot of deep shots. You know, just as with any offense, of course they will do their deep shots, but most of these routes that Reich runs in this offense only go about. 10 yards deep at the most, yeah. because again, it's just like, we got, once the defense shows their card, make that call. Don't second guess it. We'll get to this, but I think that, well, you know, it's screwed. I'll just jump out of you here a little bit, a little bit is, um, <laughs> that's a big reason why, you know, with all that drama of, Oh, do the Panthers take CJ Stroud or do they t- take Bryce Young? I was never convinced they were going to take CJ Stroud for this very reason that Stroud, my biggest hang up on him was he tends to second guess himself in the pocket and under pressure. Bryce Young is a gunslinger. He knows when just to pull the trigger, what happens happens. And so that's why I think they, that it was always Bryce Young. I highly, I'm sure there was some conversation of CJ Stroud, but I doubt that ever really went far because CJ Stroud is too much of a second guesser in this offense. You need somebody ready to pull the trigger. And that is yet another reason why if you go back and look, Philip Rivers, while he wasn't great in Indianapolis's offense, he was not bad either because Philip Rivers was so experienced at that point that he knew what to do. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. So you're talking about quarterbacks here, so that sort of leads to my second point that I want to bring up with Frank Reich's offense here is that he does something that's called a triangle read. So, Tad, I don't know if you've read about this or not or just, like, learned about it as he was the head coach of the Colts here, but just a triangle read, essentially what it does is it sets up three receivers to run around to take advantage of the defenders to essentially set up a three versus two system. So it's like all three receivers are in a similar area, which takes advantage of the defenders to then be like, okay, do we need to play up to take advantage of the two receivers or the one receiver that's down below, or do we need to cover the two back? And then essentially, like I said, with the three versus two, then you can find the open receiver and be able to hit the receiver and consistently move the ball down the field with sort of this quick passing option sort of situation here. So, normally you'd set this up the way Frank Reich was doing was like he set this up about five to seven yards down the field exactly like I said like there's not these huge deep shots that are going 15 20 yards it's usually like I said within 10 yards and you're setting up these re- uh, receivers with like these mesh routes these quarter routes you know a little bit of an out route at times a lot of curl routes screen. a lot of curl routes curl routes for sure either for the running back for the tight end like I mean using different uh, players for different options there but they're all essentially for forming a small triangle in different sort of sizes or whatever but they're all pretty much in the same vicinity. But it also depends on the quarterback because you brought this up. Phillip Rivers, he didn't have the greatest arm straight, especially by the time he got to Indianapolis. It was all that straight. I so can't, I can't test that. <laughs> so he very much relied on sort of that the original concept of like just five to seven yards down the field, being able to see the receiver that's open and just hit them there. Whereas 
Carson Wentz was more of like, no, I kind of want to go a little bit deeper down the field. So you can set up these triangle concepts to go deeper as well. And then you just, he wanted to work the sidelines a little bit more out there. And so you can still run similar concepts though. And it still allows the receiver to get open. Now, the nice thing too about triangle reads is that it helps a quarterback only focus on one side of the field. Because what's happening is that all the receivers are in the same vicinity. You're not dealing with like, you know, once again, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that we keep doing it, but it's easy to sort of pick on Cliff Kingsbury once again, where it's like he's running all these wide options. <laughs> he did it to himself. He did it's it to low himself. Hanging fruit. I don't, I'm, not even, it, I don't, right? I'm not even guilty. Like I just <laughs> Oh goodness. But um so it's not like you have all your receivers running different routes and you had to scan through the progression to see where all the receivers are. This is like I said, with the triangle read concept, all the receivers are either on one side of the field or they're in the middle. Or they're all on the left side. So the quarterback only has to worry about looking in one direction and finding which receiver is open instead of like, you know, patiently sitting in the pocket for a long time, worrying about pocket pressure, worrying about that pressure that's coming in. He can sort of make a decision, see who's open and hit that quarterback. And like I said, move the ball down the field a little bit easier. So like I said, it's very advantageous for a quarterback, especially a younger quarterback, because we talked about this, where it's like he helped develop Carson Wentz when he was still younger. I think that was his second year in the league, maybe his third year, if I remember correctly, when they went that Super Bowl run in 2017. Um, he was drafted in 2016, so that was his second year. That was his second wow, year. damn. I was thinking it was third. Holy shit. No, I think that was his second year, because, yeah, I remember 2016, that was the year with Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, obviously, and then 2017, that was who mm, won it all. Mm, so, yeah. yeah, so you see that where it's like, you know, you don't need your quarterback to make too many decisions. You just look out one side of the field, make it happen. You saw the same thing there with, you know, um, to an extent, Carson Wentz at Indianapolis, too, obviously, but just like – you saw that he had success with the younger quarterbacks everywhere that he went, or just quarterbacks in general, because he was able to sort of dial down the offense a little bit, not have them work so hard to sort of like go through the progressions. But obviously he's mixing in those types of plays. This is just a base of his passing offense. So then his quarterback doesn't have to work as hard and worry about di dissecting a defense or anything like that as extensively as maybe like, you know, when Peyton Manning was running the Colts or when Tom Brady's running the Patriots or whatever it is, right? It's like you can sort of simplify the offense, right? To make your quarterback be in a position to succeed, right? So those are the two things that I sort of came away with with Frank Reich's offense. Obviously, you brought up the RPO. I'm pretty sure they're going to mix that in with Bryce Young as well. So they let's get 100% are. They 100% oh, are. Yeah. No, they will. They will. So let's get into sort of like the meat of this podcast here or this episode specifically, I should say. Who stands to benefit? So, I mean, Tad, I'm going to pass it to you here first. But just like you look at the system on a fantasy angle or, you know, just maybe on a defensive angle, just, you know, a player that can benefit or maybe you went the other direction, maybe a player who's not going to benefit. Like, I, mean, I really don't know. But just like, how do you feel about the roster that he has there? And just who do you think stands to gain the most now with Frank Reich under center or at the helm? Not under center. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great if he was on their side. Uh, <laughs> Don't put see, it. I, I, I bet you. I bet you. You wish like that's what the 49ers could have done. Uh, done oh, in the God. NFC's championship. Like, can we just like put a helmet on Kyle Shanahan and make him yeah. go out there and do it? We had like, Brian Greasy. Been... We could have put a uniform on it. <laughs> it would have been better. Oh goodness. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Congrats on leading to a rule change. By the way, very rarely does your team do that. Um. But anyway, so yes, now under his helm, I think that, uh, and this is a guy that normally I say stay away from for the past, you know, couple years, but honestly, look at his stats 
I was wrong. You, well, last year, maybe a little bit, but um, the the two years before this one, I was actually shocked at how good his stats still were. I just think it's more, it was more of a consistency issue, which leads me to why I'm picking him this year, and that's Adam Thielen. Is I don't think consistency is going to be as big of an issue with him because for, you know, first things first is, yes, he's getting older, and not that he was ever like a really good deep, not saying he was never a deep threat, but just that was never really a strong point. But like we've been talking about, that doesn't need to be anymore. This nope. offense thrives on shifty route runners and smart receivers, and Thielen fits both of those even now in his age. And Amir, this shocked me when I saw it. He has caught almost 30 touchdowns in the last three years. He caught uh, 10 three years ago, 14 two years ago, and then six um, last year. So, like, he is still a touchdown production machine. Mm -hmm. And you look at the rest of the Panthers receiving core. DJ Chark is good, but he hasn't been good in quite a while. I don't know if those couple years in Jacksonville was a flash in the pan. Maybe this is where he revises his uh, career, but we'll see. Paris Marshall, man. And I'll, I'll own this. I thought he was going to be good, but this dude is whiffing big time on his NFL it's a big season so I think that's the big thing. It it's a big season this is a make or break it season for him. So you got them, you got, you got LaVisca Chenault, who while a great athlete is looking like just kind of like gimmicky is too harsh of a word, but more of like a, a situational playmaker. Let's yeah. say that. I expected like so much more from him, and it just he hasn't lived up to it. That's the unfortunate yeah. thing. I mean, but that's the whole thing. That sums up all of Carolina's receiving core, <laughs> except for Adam Thielen. So yeah, that's why right. I think it's like we always say, the quarterback's got to throw to somebody. And I think Bryce Young has a real chance to be rookie of the year coming out of the season. I think Carolina has a real chance to walk out of the NFC South as division winners this year so if that's going to happen and i do think there's a, there's a relatively good possibility it does i think adam thielen is going to have not a massive year but i'm talking like 1200 yards 70 or 80 catches 12 touchdowns i can absolutely see adam thielen having that kind of season barring any injury so thielen not drafting him quite to be a wide receiver two wide receiver three possible flex option I could see it, but um, definite bench option. Like if, if Thielen is still there in your draft as the it, it's winding down, you know, about a month from now, um, he's at the top of my list for guys to, you know, kind of solidify my bench with. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that's a good call there. Um, I'm going to go to the running back position. Yeah, you took, you, th th this was my real pick, by the way. <laughs> I feel like it's a pretty easy pick, but once it's again, I think one, you have to yeah. make the pick here, right? And that's Miles Sanders, the running back now of the Carolina Panthers, formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles. So while we talk about Reich being so good with quarterbacks, he's also had some pretty good running games as well. So he's had some pretty good finishes. Not all of them great, but a lot of them were great. So it's like about 50-50 there. So just looking back, last year they were 23rd in the league with the Colts, second the year before, uh, 11th. Then he was seventh, 20th. Now we're going to the Eagles. So he was third that Super Bowl year, 11th the year before in 2016. And unfortunately, his time with the Chargers, they didn't run the ball at all, really, all that yeah, much. Yeah. He was 31st and 30th with the Chargers. But I think he probably learned from to that. Be fair, like, if, if memory serves, those were the Ryan Matthews days, and that dude was not good. Yeah, Ryan Matthews and Brandon Oliver were on that roster in 2014, I believe. And then in 2015, um, they had Melvin Gordon on the roster, but that was his Melvin Gordon year. wasn't that good. 
he didn't break out yet. He didn't break out. His no, I remember after literally the year after Frank Reich left, that's what he had the amazing season. No, I I remember because Melvin Gordon was terrible his rookie year, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, like what happened?" And then yeah, he turned out to be that. Yeah. And then yeah, a lot of people were not sold on him after his rookie year, and so they were he was going a lot lower in fantasy leagues. I was like, nope, I'm sticking with him, and it paid off. You were a Melvin Gordon believer. It paid off for me the next year. I bailed. I bailed on him so quickly. He was untouchable. That's fair. He was untouchable for me. I wasn't even. No, it's true. A lot of people felt like you did, but I was like, nope. I still see the promise there. I think he could do it, and it it was able to sort of pay off for me that following year. But just yeah, so it sort of speaks to the fact that. So so when Amir says to like a running back, you like this running back. It's very true. It's very true. So also, like I said, Tad, we've talked about this before when we've uh, brought the Carolina Panthers up. Like I said, we brought up the Carolina Panthers a few times during this offseason period here. And I brought this up before, but Deuce Staley is now the running backs coach and assistant head coach with the Carolina Panthers. He is familiar with Miles Sanders because he was on that roster in Philadelphia when they drafted him. So he was there in 2019 and 2020 when Miles Sanders was part of that roster. He was the running backs coach there as well. So he's familiar with this guy. He knows how you can use him. So now you're implementing him here in a new system here with the rookie quarterback. I bet you they're going to lean on him quite a bit because also you have to look at the fact, Ted, that they let Deontay Foreman walk. He is now with the Chicago Bears. Yes, they kept Chuba Hubbard, but I mean, like, I think it's a little bit of just like that consistency fact where it's like we're both a yeah. big fan of him, but I don't know about in a lead role. Definitely in a supplementary yeah, role, I think he's, he's a bit a lot better, right? He's the perfect complementary back. He is, exactly. uh, he's Jamal Willie, not running style, eh, kind of no. running style, but uh, a little bit. I could, they, they have some similarities, a little bit. A little bit. but um, yeah, he's like the perfect, perfect secondary back. But yeah, no. If you if the if Jonathan Taylor went down, Chuba Hubbard had a lead for the rest of the season. I'd I'd be concerned. Yeah, so I don't know if I 100% trust him as a handcuff option in this case. Like in case Miles Sanders were to go out, like I would trust him a little bit. But I, not, I did. I did last Oscar. year. I did yeah. last year after Chris McCaffrey traded uh, got traded and. Uh, I'm trying to think. I had him on my roster for about, I mean, longer than I, you would think. I had him on my roster for about five or six weeks before somebody else more valuable came along. I don't even remember who it was at this point, but someone more valuable came along because he was a solid bench option. Even as a starter, though, as a starting running back with the Panthers, he was, just, he was a solid you know, bench option, and so I just dropped him after a while. And I think that sort of can attribute to the fact that that's why I like Miles Sanders a lot more because if you look at his time in Philadelphia, he was sharing a backfield with, you know, uh, Jay Ajayi at one point, Corey Clement, Austin Scott, Kenneth Gainwell. Mm -hmm. Um, So many guys, they're sort of clouding that back. Darren Sproles. Was Darren Sproles and Miles Sanders? Were they together? It seems likely because Darren Sproles played quite a bit with Philadelphia. So it might have happened. But just regardless, just that that backfield was crowded as hell. So, I mean, it's like there's never a chance for Miles Sanders to sort of be that lead guy. Whereas now he's coming to Carolina. It's like Chuba Hubbard and – that's kind of it. Like, I mean, they got some backup, like, you know, very in- inexperienced guys, some rookie guys that they drafted uh, this year, as well as undrafted guys, but pretty much like they made a point to go sign this guy in the off season too. So it's like, I think they sort of made that move. That's like, this guy is going to be the lead back in our offense to sort of do everything for us and take majority of the touches because not only is he a gifted runner, he's pretty good out of the backfield as a receiver as well. So I think he's going to be involved in both facets of the game there. So, I mean, it's like, you look at that system, Frank Reich, I think it's just going to be a great, just a, a coaching app mentor for him. Obviously you bring up the Deuce Staley aspect. So it's like, I very much like this guy. Maybe I'm a little bit higher on him than maybe some people, other people are, but I like him as a high end RB two, possibly a fringe RB one, depending on the situation that plays out. 
so high risk sounds too too critical. So I <laughs> I do I for once we do agree. I think as of now he does fall in the RB two territory for me. I wouldn't say high end RB two. I would say more the lower end just because he does carry that risk factor of we're not sure how this offense is going to look like is he going to be the trusted one to be the lead carrier i think he will be but you you have that unknown factor which is by the way one of the reasons i am a big proponent of post preseason drafts i i think people that draft in like week one of the preseason are just setting yourselves up for yeah, disappointment no, it, it's a lot safer to draft you know after the preseason. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so it will be very interesting to see his usage rate in the preseason, because I do think if he does get that role, especially with his familiarity in Reich's system, or at least that kind of system that he is absolutely set up for success. But that is my one concern is just how much of a timeshare is that backfield going to be? Um, so yes, running back two, but for me more on the lower end, just because of that risk he's carrying with him. No, that, that's completely fair, and like I said, that's why I'm keeping him as a high-end RB2. I'm not ready to call him an RB1 just yet because, like I said, I want to see that usage, but I still have confidence that he's going to take majority of that role in the backfield there in Carolina. Like like we talked about, I think Chuba Hubbard's a great complimentary piece, but he's nowhere going to sort of, you know, vulture any of the carries or the touches into it is significant about where you're like, okay, I don't know if I trust Miles Sanders anymore. So that's well, why maybe another- I'm a little bit more optimistic on it. And another thing, and I'm hopefully he has, because I look, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I wish no ill will towards Frank Reich, and hopefully he learned his lesson. Don't abandon the run. Like when yeah, you abandon the sure. run, you're exactly like what you said, Amber, because when you abandon that run, this offense, all you need to do is focus on one side of the field, because that's where, obviously, if you're going to pass it, that's where it's going. That's the whole reason the RPO and all this is so intertwined, because that's why the RPO does so well, is because the they don't know, oh, well, shit, if we focus on one side of the field they're just gonna run it on the other and that's what causes this offense to work um mm-hmm. but that's the big question is has frank reich learned his lesson or is it one of those things where once things start going wrong inevitably will he fall into old habits no you bring up a great point there you bring up a great point there but yeah i think just with the system that he has the experience that he has i think he has good you know track record of developing quarterbacks. So rookie Bryce Young, I think is in good shape, especially in his first year and his uh, career overall, you know, depending on how things go with Frank right there. Like I think just he's in a good spot to sort of develop his career the right way as well. They got the good veteran experience there. Like you said, with Adam Thielen, Hayden Hurst at tight end, obviously Miles Sanders, which we brought up and then some good, you know, younger guys that still have potential too, with DJ Chark and uh, Terrace Marshall Jr. And Jonathan Mingo, who they drafted most recently that I think could be a really good piece as well, as long as he, you know can develop the right way too so that will close out our fantasy coaching series here our new head coaching series like i mean it's been great it was only five coaches this year tad i think last year we did 10 right (laughs) better these coaches get the less work we have to do so (laughs) keep not getting fired people but it was good times it was good times and so yeah as mentioned you know go back and check out all of our previous episodes in this series we dive into all the new head coaches like i said it's only been five this year so that's why it's a little bit shorter compared to last year but still lots of great content you know discussing all the schemes and how the players are going to fit and of course the biggest thing how it will affect your fancy draft strategies and how it can help you 
get that leg up in your fantasy draft compared to everybody else that you're playing with. And also the biggest thing, we're going to be diving into fantasy football stuff as soon as Tad is back home from Michigan. Obviously, he's going to visit with his family, have a good time. And, you know, we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus as well. You know, we're just going to be a little bit off in case you haven't caught many of our episodes recently. That is episodes why. dropping, though. Episodes will still episodes drop. Episodes 100% still going to be dropping. But just, yeah, depending on, you know, when you're listening to us, if you notice that we haven't dropped many episodes recently, it's, well, that's because we're taking a little bit of a break. You know, it's it's awesome to do this podcast but sometimes you need a little bit of a break as well so yeah 100 okay. we'll be taking a little bit of a break there during fourth of july for sure or if you listen to it after us that's why we haven't dropped many episodes but best way you can keep up with everything that's happening with us you see our social media handles dropping right there down below you can follow us on uh, twitter you got me at on the side 23 tad at tad decide 94 got the show handle at the decide guys and of course we're on instagram as well at the decide guys uh wherever you listen to your podcast make sure you subscribe so you're always up to date when our latest episodes are dropping so like i said during this time most recently you know if you haven't heard an episode recently well just if you subscribe you'll always be up to date when the episodes are dropping so you can always be caught up on everything that's happening with us if you're watching us on youtube make sure you subscribe there because we're dropping the episodes there as well and i think the big thing too that we've been stressing is just make sure you're supporting our parent network lafb network they're the ones who gave us an opportunity to give you this great podcast and of course they're cranking out a lot of great content as well when it comes to the rams and the chargers at the nfl level and the bruins and the trojans at the college level so lots of great content on the website their youtube channel their podcast subscribe follow all of that stuff as well but guys everybody that's interacting with us on social media everybody who's listening who's watching who's you know giving us great episode ideas who's reading our past articles which will be coming out you know we've sort of been behind on that but 100 as we get closer to the summer here we'll be dropping lots of fantasy related content for sure on the website in case you need stuff to read as well so yeah that's going to be coming but guys to anything and everything that you're doing to support us we really can't thank you enough like Amir said, as always, everyone, thank you so much for watching. If you're on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment. And thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you're subscribed on you know, Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, subscribe there. Doesn't cost you anything. I promise. I checked. And you know what? Vice versa as well. So as always, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in one way or the other. Please stay safe, everyone. And we will talk to you after the 4th of July. Oh,